welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Chris Brown. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. So, who's had a tomato this morning? Anyone eating tomatoes? You haven't had grilled tomatoes with your bacon and eggs? You had an extra hour. It's daylight saving. I was, that's why I was saying, you know, it was a bit of a give because when I thought, we, you know, when we were going up to here, Pastor Phil, I thought, oh man, I'm going to lose an hour of sleep as well. And it's going to be a late night. But ah, I got it wrong, didn't I? I was like, you know, got the extra hour, you know. So, well, maybe this week you've probably eaten some tomatoes. Maybe you've had your grilled tomatoes with your your bacon and eggs or your, uh, or your little groovy uh, oval-shaped, you know, grapey, sweet tomatoes that have been out in the market. I rode motorbikes with a guy that brought them to Australia. He's an agricultural scientist and he was tasked to go to Europe to bring back uh, the right strain of that grape. And, um, and then, of course, you might have little cherry tomatoes popping up in the backyard and, or you might be crushing your tomatoes, making your pizza sauce like Hudson was passionately doing last week with the pizza oven, you know. Well, you know, you wouldn't have been doing any of that a few hundred years ago. If you lived in Europe for about 300 years, from 1600 and something to about, did I say 300 years? It was less than 300. It was about 200 and something years. I read about it this week. No one ate tomatoes in Europe. They had come to Europe, but they were originally just ornamental and then started people started eating them started enjoying them and then a lot of the rich people started getting sick and even dying after they ate tomatoes and so people called it the poison apple they just thought this is terrible this is, and everyone stopped eating tomatoes and it wasn't for a couple hundred years till they figured out that it was the aristocracy the rich people had pewter plates and the acidity of the tomatoes was drawing out the lead in the pewter plates and giving them lead poisoning and killing them And then when they got over that, they realised there's nothing wrong with the tomatoes. And of course, the pizza industry took off in Italy in the 1800s and away they go. So there you go. It's just a historical example, one of many that shows how we can get it wrong. How sometimes something is considered true only to be found that it's false. Or something originally might appear weird or wrong or bad only to be found that actually it's good and true. And um, let me ask you this, can, baby, can you grab me those glasses, sadly, that blue thing? Um, yes, thank you. Um, so, thank you, brother. Ta, here we go, this will help me. Oh, there you are. Um, so, uh, let me ask you this, have you ever heard of the band Brian Poole and the Tremolos? Well... If you're a historian, you might have, but most people probably haven't. But, you know, in 1962, they were given a record contract in England. Um, Instead of another band, up-and-coming band that got rejected, and that other band was, of course, the Beatles. You may have heard of them. And they were overlooked by this record company executive who supposedly predicted, wrongly, of course, oh, sorry, guys, guitar bands are on the way out. Well, you know, that was classically proven to be false. So... My point is it's not always a good call just to rely on your personal opinion or your first impression, your gut instinct. Uh, And and so 
what about the Word of God? What about the truth of the Gospel? What about Jesus and this message that he brought to the world? Well, look what Paul wrote. In the first century, already people had an issue. It wasn't just as simple as, oh yeah, sure, great, makes sense. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'll read from verse 18 to verse 24 in the NLT, New Living Translation. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. As the Scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. That's a quote from Isaiah, the prophet in the Old Testament, God speaking. Verse 20, so where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, the world's brilliant debaters? Well, God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he's used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It's foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven. It's foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended. And the Gentiles, the Greeks, say it's all nonsense. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Wow. So, you know, notice there he says some people are offended. And and Paul reiterates that in Galatians chapter 5. He refers to the offence of the gospel. And so I want to talk about that today, the offence of the cross. With Easter coming up next week, it's all about the cross, the message of the cross, the the centre point of human history. This is what the Christian faith is all about. Jesus wasn't just a teacher, said a few things, they wrote a few. There's plenty of guys that have come along and said some things and they've written books and said, oh, this is a holy book and here are his sayings and all that. Yeah, yeah, but Jesus died in a public form of execution in a way that he didn't have to, with a very special burden called the sins of all humankind. (laughs) And then he rose from the dead. And so that's quite a different kind of course than any other religious leader or prophet that's ever come to this world. But of course, this message has often appeared foolish and even offensive to people without a revelation from God. Look at what it says in uh, Paul writing also to the Corinthians later, his, his next letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4, the God of this age, little g, the devil, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who's the image of God. And that's why we must pray. Because there's spiritual dynamics where people can be blinded, but somehow then those blinkers or coverings or some, something spiritually can be removed and then people can see the light. And when the lights come on, it all makes perfect sense, doesn't it? And maybe you've got that experience. Maybe you can remember when you thought, this, that, that, the Christian faith just seemed so weird. I can remember that at school. I, just, I was terrible. I mocked. The Christian kids at school, I had a terrible mouth. I swore about them, probably to them. And then the lights came on. I got born again. And then I joined their Christian meetings. And they were really sus because this is this abusive idiot guy that was swearing about us and slagging off on about us. And now he's in the meetings. And 
The language didn't change straight away. So I can remember being so excited and saying, this is great. This is, oh, wow, I just read this beep, scripture. And, 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 and I'd get looks and I'd go, what's, oh, did I just, yeah, right, okay. And I was still swearing without realising it, you know. And so they were like, this guy's not the real deal. What's he infiltrating us just to cause us more problems, you know. But the lights had come on, you know. And, and so you humble yourself at the foot of the cross, you you repent from sin, you submit to God, and you're determined to follow Jesus the rest of your life. But as you see here, the devil works very hard to try and prevent people from doing that, blinding their eyes, their spiritual perception, so they don't see the gospel, that they don't get it. And for some people, not only do they not get it, they get angry about it. They get offended, which is really weird because the message of the gospel is so wonderful. And Spurgeon put this really well because he, he put everything well. Um, so if you're ever short of sermon material, you just give up and go, Spurgeon, uh, and you, you know, just get the, get the AI bot thing to just you know, write, Spurgeon, write me a sermon. You know. You'll be pleased to know I don't do that. Or maybe not so pleased. It probably would be better. But anyway, you're getting the authentic thing because Hudson showed me just the last week what it can do. And it's like, wow, that's... That's a real avenue for laziness right there. You can just, not just university assignments, you can get, you know, I want the AI thing to get the lawnmower going and do the lawns and, you know, let, get, get. Um, uh, so, uh, yeah, Spurgeon said this, the religion of Jesus, Charles Spurgeon, famous um, preacher, uh, you can look him up later, uh, the religion of Jesus is the most peaceful, mild and benevolent religion which was ever promulgated. When we compare it with any set of dogmas invented by men, there is not one of them that can stand the least comparison with it for gentleness, mildness, and love. The religion of Jesus is that of the dove. All is mercy. All is mild. It is, like its founder, an embodiment of pure benevolence, grace, and truth. And yet, strange to say, gentle as the gospel is, there has never been anything that has caused more disturbance in the world than the Christian religion. It is not a sword, and yet it has brought war into the world. It is not a fire, and yet it has consumed many old institutions. It is, it is the gospel of peace, and yet it caused feuds and confusions everywhere. Though in itself, it is all gentleness, yet it seems as if the standard of the, love, of the dove were the standard of battle. So that's Spurgeon in his brilliant poetic way. Why is that? And what are we to do when we encounter this offence, this upset, this opposition? How are we to behave in this world where opposition to the gospel is sometimes quite strong, quite strident and increasing? Uh, so, okay, so maybe obviously we could make some concessions with what we believe to not upset people. That's what some people do. Or you can go on the offensive and get all aggressive and preach the Christian gospel by publicly attacking people that aren't living the best life that God's got for them. And both of those extremes are occurring in our society and kind of increasing. But I would suggest that neither of those are the best options. So I think we should learn from history, starting with Jesus, of course. He's the original source of the offence, but also the perfect example of how to respond to it. And when you read the gospels, and we're not going to, we don't quite have time to read all four of the gospel accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus, but 
it, it's worth doing, you know, at some point. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. In fact, read them constantly for the rest of your life. It'll do you good. Uh, but when you do, as you may know, you see it, uh, Jesus as completely loving towards people, which makes sense since God is love and Jesus is God and he came from heaven to represent God. So, you, you know, you see him hanging out with Matthew, the tax collector and all his sinful mates and having dinner with them and he's quite happy to do that. And people were upset. They were offended that he was hanging out with sinners. Uh, you see him being gracious with the kids, the children running up to him. This is why, you know, we value kids as, you know, loud as they are. We think, great, let them jump and dance. And we, we love families and children and all that. But, of course, the disciples wanted to try and create some order. And they were saying, stop, hold the kid. And Jesus said, no, no, guys, 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 let the little children come. Isn't that a beautiful passage? And that's his heart. He's, he's, he's not put off by that. And, uh, and of course, he you know, catches the, the, they bring the woman to him who was caught in adultery. He doesn't condemn her. He forgives her. He, he demonstrates compassion and love. He's healing people. He's tired. He tries to get away to have some time to pray. Turns around, there's a multitude of people there going, help, help. And he's like, oh. And it says he's moved with compassion and he prays and helps and heals them and all that. But at the same time, Jesus didn't please everyone because, you know, he offended the Jewish religious people, particularly the leaders who saw Jesus as a threat to their authority. They thought he was blasphemous because of the claims that he was making and he was not adhering to their religious rules. He, was, he, he, he healed someone on the Sabbath and all they could think of is you did something on the Sabbath. It's like, yeah, yeah but he healed someone. Oh, yeah, but it was on the Sabbath. <laughs> and like they just couldn't see you know, the, the, the bigger picture, they were just so put out. But notice Jesus wasn't afraid of that. He wasn't put out by their opposition, their offence, their attack. He wasn't here just to be nice, just to be tolerant of sin, just to fit in and comply with society's standards or, or to approve of people's spiritual apathy or complacency or, or misunderstanding of God's heart. No, he was here to stir things up. He wanted to shock people out of their laziness towards God. John the Baptist did a pretty good job of that as well, ushering in Jesus' ministry. And he wanted people to discover their best life in God. And that will cause a ruckus sometimes, a bit of a stir. And, uh, and so in doing that, Jesus, in bringing truth, he caused offence. So much so that, of course, he was crucified. But he didn't mind. Isn't it incredible? He was, he was willing to go and submit to punishment, persecution, pain and suffering and be crucified, not only so our sins could be forgiven and open a way for us to have eternal life, but he saw beyond the suffering to the, the glory, the, the victory and the return to heaven. Look at you know, this well-known, powerful passage, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Uh, Fixing our, let's fix our eyes on Jesus. What a great phrase. Fix your eyes on Jesus. That's worth thinking about. You could spend a whole sermon just thinking and talking about that. So we fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. See, he had the, the long-term picture. Had to go through the pain, the suffering, the cross, 
but he saw joy beyond it. For the joy beyond the cross, he scorned its shame and he eventually sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So look at the next bit. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So the two obvious takeaways there, you know, is, well, like I said, focus on Jesus in all circumstances, in all situations, just look to Jesus, consider, you know, what would Jesus do? What's he saying? What's the word telling me? Uh, you know, Jesus is the, the word of God. Read the gospel account, see how he reacted and responded and behaved and, and, and in prayer, oh, whatever the drama is, oh God, we look to Jesus. He, he, he's the author, the perfecter of our faith. He's what we build our lives on. He's the rock. So we always look to him, yeah? And then also we consider his journey through suffering and his stand against opposition so that when we face suffering, which is not going to be at such an extent, but, but to a lesser extent, we will face some difficulties, then we can carry on. We consider Jesus and think, well, come on, Lord, help me. You're with me. The power of the Holy Ghost is in me. And, and you got through it and you're going to help me because I've got the same power in me that raised Jesus from the dead, which we'll talk more about on Easter Resurrection Sunday. And so then you're able to keep going without losing heart, as it says, without growing weary. Isn't that awesome? And you can do that. And that's exactly what his followers did as the church began and began to spread and the gospel started growing around the known world in the first century. Because Jesus had brought this good news of salvation. Many people embraced it, understood it, became Jesus followers. But of course, not everyone loved it, embraced it and followed it. Some people continued to be offended and opposed to this message and were so outraged that they worked hard at, at persecuting Christians, trying to stop the whole spread of this new weird religion that they thought, Jewish people certainly thought it was a distortion. The, the Pharisaical leaders thought it was a distortion of their faith. Others in the Roman Empire thought it was just weird. In fact, um, for hundreds of years, from the time of Christ to, till about 300 AD, Christianity was, was effectively illegal. It, it, it wasn't considered considered a religion at all. They had their religion. They had all their Roman gods, you know, based on Greek mythology and Romans basically just changed the names and borrowed from the Greeks and had their own system of gods and worship and sacrifices. And they, they considered Christianity a, a criminal organisation out to undermine their worship system of Roman gods. And people who became Christians lost their jobs, were, uh, you know, uh, cast out of families, were constantly ridiculed. Some places of the Roman Empire, they were condemned to death just because of their decision to become a Christian. And, you know, today, if you go to Rome, amongst all the amazing ruins there, there's a famous wall with an inscription known as the Alexamenos Graffito, the graffiti about Alexamenos. And there it is. But this was scrawled on a wall in Rome about 200 AD and it was kept intact because the street that the wall was on was built over at some point for some new building and that was left like that and not discovered till the 1800s. So for nearly 2,000 years it was just sitting there and it was, that's why they found it so well preserved. So 
there's an inscription on that. If you go to the next one, they've simplified it. See, they've taken the, that's the photograph of the first one, but there's the, the drawing of the original graffiti. So it's, it's, it's a, you know, a graffiti artist having a go at Alexamenos. This guy has become a Christian and it's mocking him and mocking Jesus because there's Jesus depicted on a cross and the depiction, the, sorry, the, the inscription reads, Alexamenos worships his God. And Jesus has got the head of a donkey, which is an obvious, you know, insult. And he's been crucified, which was still uh, until about 300 and something, until Constantine banned it, it was still the form of public execution for the worst of criminals. And that's, that's, that's why Jesus ended up on a cross. So I, I came across that a while ago and I thought, wow, even back then, you know, people were having a go. But of course, graffiti, that's just the shallow end of the pool. Thousands of believers were, were thrown to the lions, you know, in the Roman Colosseum, which you can also go to, and, and uh, you know, at the, the pleasurer of the emperor, the, the, you know, for the entertainment of the masses, they had these games that were, you know, with the gladiators, and part of the entertainment was sometimes just getting these wild, hungry lions and Christians just throwing in there. Uh, what a way to go. And they were some of the, you know, the great martyrs of the Christian faith. But none of that stopped the spread of the gospel. In fact, some of those who were initially offended and incensed at this new, crazy, weird religion, some of them saw the light and became advocates of the gospel. The best example, of course, being Paul the Apostle, who wrote the passages we read. Well, we don't know about the Hebrews one, but certainly Corinthians. And, and he was one of those religious leaders, those Jewish, well-trained religious people who persecuted the early Christians. And you read about him when he was called Saul, you know, in the early part of the book of Acts. And he ends up being the great apostle, travelling all over the Roman Empire at the time, preaching Jesus as the way, the truth and the life, writing two-thirds of the New Testament just about. Isn't that amazing? And just like those who he persecuted, and pursued, Paul was also persecuted and was brave in the face of suffering. He wasn't put off just like the Lord Jesus. He wasn't put off by people who opposed the message, who were offended at the message of the cross, even to the point of death. Because historians tell us it's not in the Bible. The end of Acts stops pretty abruptly, but we have you know, led to believe that he was executed um, on the orders of Emperor Nero and beheaded. Uh, and this kind of persecution went on for hundreds of years in the Roman Empire at different seasons, in different places, waves of it. And in fact, the history of the church, particularly history of missions, it's not just the history of the expansion of the gospel, as great as that has been, it's also the history of persecution, of the offence of the cross. I've been reading this great biography about... Amy Carmichael, and uh, you may know she was a famous Irish missionary to India in the uh, early 1900s, and she came up against the caste system, and some of our, you know, Indian people can tell us about this. I think it's still pretty strong today, but certainly when she was there, she said it was, um, it was very hard for people to convert because they would be cast out of their caste, excuse the pun, and they would lose all their connections to family, society, job, earning income, all kinds of stuff. 
and uh, and so she was uh, up against this, and 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 saw you know a, a lot of troubling situations with people in oppressive. Uh, situations, you know, lower caste, and then uh, she'd come up, up against the the Brahmins, the top of the caste, who were the religious leaders and um, and experts, and she would try and you know debate and talk to them and express the gospel. And she writes about one of her encounters that that is typical of what she came up against. She's talking to a, a, a Brahmin, you know, religious teacher. She said. He then asked me how many persons I had succeeded in joining to my way since I began to try. It was exactly the question which the devil had been pressing on me because there weren't that many at that point. After this, he told me politely that we were knocking our heads against a rock. We might smash our heads, but we never would affect the rock. The Brahmin only smiled. And then with a gesture, expressing at once his sense of his own condensation in speaking with me and his utter contempt for the faith I held, motioned for me to go. Outside in the road, a number of Hindus were standing. Some of them were his retainers and friends. I heard them say as I passed through their midst, who will fall into the pit of the Christian way? And they laughed and the Brahmin laughed. And they said, off she goes as the filth of the world. And that was her life, going from village to village up against that. And then they'd get someone who was interested and they would talk about converting. And then they would say at one point, I will pray, but I can't leave my Hindu worship. I have to stay in my caste and do the... And she'd say, no, no, you've got to leave that. You've got to give your life to Christ. And then they'd say, well, I can't do it then. Oh, and it would break her heart. But of course, she kept at it and she did see cracks in the rock and, 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 uh, and, and saw fruit eventually, people getting born again and she was undeterred by the opposition, the ridicule, the offence of the gospel that was thrown back at her. She served for 55 years in India, preaching, running an orphanage, rescuing women from prostitution. She never left India, never went back to Ireland. She died there at the age of 83, serving all those years. What a champion. So, so, what are you doing? I mean, uh, I, contextually, uh, well, today. So, you, look, you may not be thrown to the lions for your faith uh, unless you're an idiot at Taronga Zoo and fall into the pit like you see on YouTube every now and then, like idiot fails or something, hashtag, you know, what were they thinking? Someone leaning over and falling into a den of lions. Um, and you, you know, you may not be called to live in such trying conditions as Amy Carmichael in a foreign land. But if you carry the gospel message with you, it can still cause offence today. And I'm not here today to say, go out and be offensive, you know, go and do your worst and let's make enemies of the world. Not at all. But the fact is, you know, some people, some people are too wise in their worldly way, as Paul's writing to the Corinthians there, to consider something spiritual. You know, just using their physical senses for their entire understanding of the world, relying on common sense without making any allowances for uncommon sense, something beyond the norm, outside their understanding, which is something from God. And it can be true just because you don't yet know it. And of course, some people are very complacent, very comfortable, just enjoying the pleasures of the world. So like, I'm just not interested in anything else. Some suspect that, the gospel is true, 
but they're too proud. So they're offended by the concept of having to be humble. They, they don't want to submit to anything or anyone. So, you know, these are the, some of the Aussie blokes that I've talked to over the years who are like, oh, yeah, me and God, yeah, we're mates, you know. You know I just have a chat with him. I'm on the beach. That's me church. You know, it's like, okay, that's not the true essence of the God. God loves you, but there's also, a, a, you know, a point of decision where you, you've got to repent. You've got to humble yourself. You're not God. You, you know, he's not just your mate. You know, and you say that when you get to the pearly gates, see how it goes. You know, you, you, and so some people are, well, some people find the gospel too simple. They think, well, hang on, surely you've got to work your way to, 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 to make some spiritual connection with the Almighty. You know, like people in some religions, you earn merit. You get closer to God only because of what you do. And so the Christian faith, it's like, well, Hang on, are you saying I get something free from God? That it's just like this free gift? Yeah, exactly. And so for some people that does their head in. They, they can be even offended at that. Some people are self-righteous and they're offended by the fact that you're saying anyone, regardless of how they've lived, can be born again. It makes no distinctions, this gospel you're talking about. And they might think, well, that's not fair. I'm a really nice person. This guy's a rat bag. You're saying, yeah, exactly. That's... So there's all kinds of reasons. Some people are just critical, offended, mocking, uh, 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 offensive to the gospel. They don't even know it, but there's a spirit of antichrist in the world. And you see the history of the Jewish people. You've got people who don't even know why, but they hate the Jews. And, there's a, and, and, there's, and that can be in society where people don't even know why. They're getting uh, you know, angsty and... And, and all, you know, rankled about the Christian truth. So what are you going to do with this? Well, I just want to contend we do two things today. First of all, we are loving. We are Christ in this world. Christian means little Christ. And we read the Gospels and we want to bring that same grace and compassion and patience. Oh, and don't we need God's love to do that? I mean, you just need that in your own family, even with your own well, not me, my wife's perfect, of course, you know, but, but your own children, you know, or, um, you know, friends and f f even nice, normal people, you know, you've got to be gracious too. And then, of course, then there's the, huh, the ones that are having a go at you, you know, and so we've got to be loving. We've got to bring grace to the world. We've got to interact, people, interact with people and look for points of understanding not for points of differences and be ready for an argument, yeah? And there are people who think the gospel's foolish because their eyes have been blinded like we read and we've just got to try and connect, try and meet with them and be compassionate. But the second thing we've got to do is bring the truth, stand on the truth. It's not just our opinion, the truth of the gospel. It's light in a dark world. And when you shine a light in the darkness, it's very different to the dark. It makes a difference. In fact, if you've got a torch, you shine it in someone's eyes. Whoa, hey, what are you doing? Well, that, that can cause a reaction or an offence. And so we've got to accept what the Bible says, be strong in our convictions, be true to what God says. And people might be offended by that. Uh, in fact, some people, they're not just offended. They claim that they shouldn't have to be offended. That, that you should stop talking about what you're talking. In fact, you should even stop believing about what you're believing because your Christian values, your Christian beliefs, that's not just upsetting me a little bit, that's triggering me. That's causing problems with my mental health. I'm threatened by that. And so this, as you know, in society has become a real weapon 
of the enemy against people living and proclaiming the Christian faith so that people are being cancelled by standing up for their values. And, 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 you know, with respect, that's a pretty poor argument, you know, because we've always had different values, difference of opinion, and people have usually just got along pretty well in most modern democratic societies without trying to kill each other and just say, well, okay, that's your conviction. Well, with respect, I've got a different view and let's just get along. Because, I mean, hey, I know what this is all about because I grew up in Manly. I grew up in Manly, Warringah. One of my school teachers in primary school, school played for Manly, Warringah. I'm talking rugby league. I'm talking sport, right? I didn't know until like 30 years ago we moved to the Central Coast. Everybody in the world hates Manly unless you live in Manly. But we've got some manly supporters here because it's in the church constitution. If you're new to the church, that's just part of our membership class. You'll find out that later, right? Lock the doors, right? We get them to sign the. No, no, you can go for any footy team you like. But, um, but I, I, you know, I, I came to the, and I, I, and then some idiot decided to come up with the Northern Eagles. I'm like, you didn't ask anyone on the Central Coast about that, did you? Like, have a team that looked like manly with Maroon and White, call it the Northern Eagles. And of course, what a surprise that didn't work out. The Coasties weren't going to go for them. But, you know, I, I, I've, like, any, like the, the three other Manly supporters on the Central Coast, uh, you know, am I triggered? Is my mental health affected by people hating Manly? You bet. But I learned, <laughs> but, you know, and after much counselling, thank you, Janelle, uh, you know, I've learned to cope. And so you just get on, don't you? So what I'm saying is don't let people force you to back off from what you believe and what Jesus commanded you to do with the Great Commission, which is to tell people the good news of Jesus. You know, Proverbs 29, 25, this is the last verse. Uh, maybe they didn't even, I did, maybe didn't give it to Anasu, but uh, Proverbs 29, verse 25. The fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Well, how often is that true? So... Like I said, I'm not saying go out to offend people, but, but, you know, when push comes to shove, you don't compromise your belief in God and you don't get entrapped, ensnared, locked down, cancelled. You stay faithful to God. You stay faithful to His Word. Because Paul says, okay, i got one more scripture. All right, amongst some of the last scriptures I'll refer to today is Romans 1 verse 12. I'm not ashamed of the Gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God for salvation. Why be ashamed of that? It's, the, it's what everyone needs, even if they don't realise they need it. And so, uh, you know, look, sadly, I know some Christians who have watered down the gospel, watered down, walked away from what the Bible teaches, what they used to believe, because it's now inconvenient. It's now upsetting people and they don't want to cause offence. They're just going to keep the peace so they totally change their views of what the Scriptures teach. And I think that's a real shame and I'm encouraging you not to do that. And I mean, last night, Phil Pringle was preaching about not even trusting your feelings. He's saying, How, what a mad world. People say, well, I don't feel like this. I don't feel like that. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do what my feelings say. He says, that's got to be the last thing on the agenda to trust in. And number one, the Word of God. And, you know, we go with our fickle feelings. So, and most of the time, people respect you for your convictions. You know, most people aren't all out to get you. That's generally my experience. All the motorbike mates that John and Craig and I have met with who aren't followers of Jesus, and I've had plenty of conversations with guys. It's clear when I'm talking to them or camping with them or riding with them out in the bush, it's clear that they don't 
exactly believe what I believe, you know, in the jokes they tell and the conversation. They, but then it'll come up and they kind of, you know, find out what I do for a living and we, you know, talk about the Christian faith. And I've never had someone say, well, I'm offended and brim, right off on their dirt bike, you know. I'm not riding with him, you know. Um, I mean, I did have one guy, I think I've told you this story, where that one guy on the WhatsApp group said, anyone riding tomorrow? It was a Saturday. And then... Um, and the guy running the WhatsApp group said, no, we're all in church. And then it just said, Simon left the group. <laughs> and then Rob, the guy who said it, texted me and said, hey, what do you think's going on there? I said, I don't know, mate. But of course, they're not in church. I'm the only one in church. It was just a joke. And we didn't. And then so Rob rang him. And the guy went, ah, oh, well, you guys are all Christians, are you? And he's like, no, mate, no, we're just, I'm joking. We're probably all going to be at the pub getting totally... You know, uh, and so the guy got back on the group and then I went for a ride and met this guy some weeks or months later. Oh, da, 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 okay, you're Simon. I went, you're not the Simon who left the group because of that comment about that. He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, oh, yeah, really sorry to hear that. And he's like, oh, yeah, well, see, I got brought up in this religious kind of church and it was really heavy and I just, whoa, totally walked away from it. And so that's why I thought he was serious. We're all in church. And he goes, yeah, all right, yeah, cool. And he goes, yeah, so what do you do for a living? And I'm like, well, yeah, I pastor a church. You're kidding me, you know. And, and, uh, and, but it was really good because, you know, you could, if, if you, they've got the, they're basically their, their, their understanding or their, their value of people is based on your ability to ride a dirt bike. So if you're a hopeless dirt bike rider, you're a buffhead and I don't want to talk to you. If you're decent enough, it's like, I don't care what you do for a living, I respect you. So, so we ended up with a good you know, connection and relationship and talked through that. So, you know, as I said, you might come up against a bit of the cancel culture or offended people, but not a lot. I'm just wanting us to have that conviction to be prepared to suffer if it comes to it and to not be ashamed of the gospel. You hear what I'm saying? And of course, still loving people, being gracious with people. So as we approach Easter, come on, let's love the message that we've been given. Let's appreciate it. Let's preach the cross. We know it's the only way to God. It's the only way for people to be born again, to be healed of the human condition of sin. And so we are strong in that and we graciously present it, but let people decide how they will as a result. Amen? Praise Him. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for the truth of the gospel, not the opinions, not the nuances of, of our exegesis or understanding of end times theology or some particular minor point of doctrine. We just thank you, Jesus, you came. You died on the cross for our sin. We can be saved by grace through faith alone in God. We thank you, God, for these, these truths, these basic gospel truths that the Bible's very clear on and we don't want to step away from them. We know you've got the right way for people to live and we want to help them discover that. So I pray you'd help us all to live with confidence, with conviction and with, a, with clarity about our message that we bring to the world. We pray we'd be gracious, compassionate, wise, diplomatic, but still bold in our witness. And I pray for that in each one of us, in our different walks, different journeys, different people. We're all going to go in different places this week. We're going to meet some people that no one else in this auditorium will meet. Maybe you'll meet people, church, who, you know, you might be the only Christian witness in their life. God, I pray for, for an anointing on us to bring that 
clear message. Thank you, Lord. Your touch on every life here today. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.